After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Josh, you know, it, it, it happened again, and I just, I really don't, don't understand why, but it happens every year. All of the referees and linesmen were shut out once again at the NHL awards. I don't know how that keeps happening. There is no game without them. How can we not have an award? It's amazing to me. We have officials in the Hockey Hall of Fame. We recognize their efforts, their contributions to the game. The Continental Hockey League gives out the golden whistle. We have international organizations that recognize top officials. We have plenty of amateur ones handing out their end-of-season awards to recognize guys and girls who've made certain accomplishments or, or are above and beyond for officiating in their respective organizations. Why does the NHL keep dropping the ball? We have some terrific officials. We have some great guys working right now in the Stanley Cup final, and I, I think it's amazing to not have best referee, best linesman, some kind of category here to recognize these guys who've gone uh, and, and done a phenomenal job throughout the season. So we can recognize the players. We should be recognizing the officials. Best penalty announcement. Yeah, well, uh, that's a that's a slam dunk every year. Yeah. I'd love to see the guys gunning for it, right? If you know right. there's a trophy at the end, I want to see like Francis Sharon come back on fire and say, I'm going for that title this year. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. Please make sure you're following us on our social media feeds. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. He's been on fire lately. And for me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram as well. Coming up on this week's episode, just how much time do you need? What's a few seconds between friends? Kucherov gets crunched. Third period penalties. And just how many guys are allowed out on the ice? You know, the... Stanley Cup Finals may have started slowly, but we have sure had plenty of incidents in the last couple of games to, to really dig into in terms of penalties, calls, game situations and stuff. So how about the first goal of the game by Avalanche forward Val Nachushkin in game number two? Taves holds the puck into the line, moves it forward, Nachushkin chips it in past Andre Vasilevsky, but hold on. Wait a little longer. Nope, nope, not yet. I'm thinking about it. Not yet, not yet. Okay, I am going to challenge. It's, <laughs> it seemed like John Cooper took an eternity to make that call, but there was an explanation afterwards as he was waiting for the replays. And I, I guess you got to give the coach a little slack to do that. It's a tough spot to be in. It's such a critical moment. And anymore, we know that the consequence of a wrong challenge is that it's putting you shorthanded for two minutes. So a pretty pivotal section to have to take a guess. And that's why you've got the coaches waiting for these replays. And we have video coaches. We know both teams have video coaches up there that are scanning this, that are watching, that are in communication with the bench. But if they don't have the replays, they don't have anything to evaluate to decide whether or not to challenge. So it, it does put these guys in a tough spot, especially when it's not always a consistent process and, and they're stuck waiting, which Cooper was. So I, I don't I don't know, Todd, that I can put this all on him or on his video coach. Maybe they needed to take a few seconds to look at it, but 
they're at the mercy of what's being sent over from the feed as far as those replay angles. And uh, unfortunately, you got to give them a little bit of time to take a look. It's a difficult situation. I mean, I understand the thinking of we want to keep the game moving, but the suggestion of, well, there should be a 30 second clock or shot clock of some sorts from the time the puck goes in until the puck is dropped for the subsequent face off. And in that time, the coach has to challenge. But but what if he hasn't seen a replay that's conclusive one way or the other. It sometimes takes a while and it varies from building to building, home team to visiting team. So I understand the thinking, but maybe it's the process we need to look at. Yeah, standardizing that would definitely help. And I know there's all kinds of technical hurdles that may get in the way of getting those feeds over right away. I know when the league's taking a look at it for the coaches challenge eligible plays that happen in the final minute of regulation or at any point in overtime, they're evaluating those right away. So as soon as that goal is scored, they're looking to see if it was a clean zone entry, if there was goaltender interference, if there was a missed stoppage, something like that. And they may be doing that in this case. They they might already start the ball rolling and it would be smart of them to do so to say, well, here's the goal. Let's start taking a look. Now, nothing would come of it unless the coach decides to challenge. But I think for them to get the ball rolling is one thing, but you still need to have the the content there for the coach to make that determination. So do, do you put the shot clock on? And if you do, you can't start it ticking until you've delivered enough information to for them to make an informed decision. And, and, and that, I think, Todd, is the challenge there, because like you said, it's it, there are so many different circumstances, so many different situations. It's not fair to just arbitrarily assign a time unless you can say, OK, you've gotten eight angles. These are the eight angles we can give you. And now you have 30 seconds. Go. The other speaking of time was the item I texted you about as we were watching game two in separate cities, not together. But they went back, did the evaluation, decided it was offside. So there is there is no goal. The puck went in at exactly the five minute mark of the first period and that's where they resumed play. And I sent you a text, shouldn't they put more time back on the clock? And I believe there should be more time on the clock because when the puck goes out across the blue line, that's when the clock should stop. And they missed a few seconds here. Four seconds, exactly. Four seconds is how much time elapsed. Doesn't seem like much, but you know, as we're getting into the final minutes of games and time's ticking off, those four seconds can be pretty critical. And it was interesting because the release from the National Hockey League did say that the clock went back to 1504 and it, it was reset. But I don't know. I, 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 I missed, didn't see it. I missed seeing that during the game. <laughs> the adjustment. Flawed. Play the whole game over again. <laughs> we got to throw it out. Start over, guys. We don't know what happened. Uh, at least, you know, bring them back together. Maybe play that four seconds before you start game five. There you go. I think that's uh, I think that's the idea. There was also a kind of a nasty late hit on Nikita Kucherov in that game. It was mentioned a little bit afterwards. It was kind of sneaky and dirty and and nasty. Uh, Ray, Ray Ferraro actually summed it up in the broadcast of Game Three, saying Kucherov wasn't exactly a Lady Bing candidate. But that's no excuse. It was it was a penalty, but I didn't think it was anything more than that, as some were suggesting. No, it, it wasn't. And we, we started to see things get a little chippy out there. We had the Kucherov hit on Manson and, and then that shove, which uh, which drove Kucherov into the boards. Uh, unfortunate, you, you don't want to see guys get injured. But again, we can't rule based on a potential injury in the play. You have to look at the circumstances of the hit and what happened. And sometimes it deserves a penalty, even if the outcome is more unfortunate than that. You can't justify 
any further action or supplemental discipline. So I think a, a penalty is warranted, but certainly not anything more than that. Okay, let's get into game three situations now. And it started pretty quickly in this one because in the first half minute or so, the bolts are swarming, the puck hits Kemper in the mask, it pops off, the puck lays in front of him, it's shoveled into the net. How come no whistle blows stopping the play because the mask comes off? This is still an area of confusion for some people. I don't know why. I, I don't know if they're getting confused with the helmet rule for players, which requires that they replace their helmet or leave the ice. It's different for goaltenders. And contrary to what popular belief is, it's not an automatic whistle when a goaltender loses his mask. The rule's very specific that the whistle will be blown immediately when his team has control of the puck. And, and that's to make sure you're not negatively affecting the opposing team and you're concerned for goaltender safety. It's that impact on the opposing team though that makes rule 9.6 have that caveat that says if the opposing team has control of the puck or if they have an immediate and impending scoring opportunity there is not an immediate whistle so it's at the referee's discretion and certainly we've seen times when the attacking team has the puck in the offensive zone they're moving the puck around they're shooting it towards the net play carries on until the rebound deflects into the corner or clears the zone this scoring chance was so immediate and impending. It was the rebound off his mask. The shot that knocked Kemper's mask loose was the one that resulted in the rebound that Sorelli put in. So you, you can't get more immediate than that. And the refs made the right call. This was not a missed call. This was not delaying. This was getting it right until the avalanche gained possession of the puck or until the puck cleared the zone or was in the corner. There's no immediate whistle to be blown so yes that means we have to go old school and we have goalies playing without helmets for a little while and potentially dangerous situation but one that is in line with how rule 9.6 operates i'm not sure if it was adrenaline or knowing the rule or a combination of both but kemper kept playing he was one for sure that kept playing because he was trying to make the save on that rebound he was and you know what it was actually fortunate because with the puck in close and the shot coming in low he really wasn't in a, a great amount of danger on that play but certainly uh, you could see a similar situation you know the puck kicks out to the point and you've got a guy blasting it and there's a deflection no telling where that puck might end up and I I'm hoping that we don't have one of those situations which would presumably force the NHL to revisit the rule it's a hard one to balance. You know, we've seen guys, and I won't name names like Mike Smith or Braden Holtby, but we've seen guys whose helmets seem to pop loose on a regular basis. And I think the league knows there are guys who would take advantage if this was an automatic whistle. All right, let's fast forward ahead to the third period now with Colorado and Tampa tied. There were, how shall we say, several calls that could have and I'll say should have been made but weren't by Wes McCauley and Kelly Sutherland. I'm not saying that the whistles were put away, but the whistles were put away. Hedman gets knocked down. Kedry gets knocked down. Clearly, the two guys were using the Stanley Cup final rule book that you pushed out again on social media <laughs> last night because I, I think it was very appropriate here. Yeah, it was a little surprising. I mean, we know that Wes McCauley's not one of the highest penalty callers when it comes to handing out power plays. We do see a lot of matching minors when guys are, are mixing things up a little bit. But it was about as balanced as you could get through two periods. Two penalties per side. Each team called for one interference and one hooking. And that was it. Nothing called in the third. Nothing called in overtime. And like you said, Todd, a few that I was a bit surprised, I think would have been a penalty possibly earlier in the game and undoubtedly would have been penalties 
in earlier rounds and certainly in the regular season. I mean, we started the postseason with a very tightly called standard and it seemed consistent from start to finish. We saw power plays in overtime. We saw them enforcing things from the first period to the third period. So a little disappointing to see that. I don't want to say it slipped. I, I think it was still being called fairly. I think it was called balanced. I think they were letting things go on both sides, but it was, it was slipping equally. And I think once you've set that standard for the first two periods and you've got guys out there like Wes McCauley and Kelly Sutherland who are in constant communication. I mean, listen, if you can hear with the mics around the the rink, mm -hmm. you can hear Sutherland and, and McCauley chatting them up all during play. I mean, as the action's going on, they're, they're barking commands to the guys. They're letting them know where the puck's loose. They're letting them know what looks like a penalty or to watch sticks, things like that. To see that standard slip was a little disappointing because I, I know these guys uh, can maintain it. They maintain that level of communication. And I, I think there were definitely a few that could have worked out to maybe an additional penalty or two here or there and, and likely pretty balanced. I think we saw it on both sides. So it was still being called fairly, but I, I did feel like that standard slipped just a little bit. So you're saying fair and balanced. Yeah. I will add flawed. OK, I, I'll give you flawed. Just because it's fair doesn't mean they're calling it properly or as tightly as they could have been. And I think we kind of hung our hats on the NHL's proclamation that, that they are calling things evenly. And it should be the same from the start of the season to the end of the playoffs. And we, we came into the Stanley Cup playoffs this year with that, and it was looking pretty promising. So uh, not a huge debacle by any means and not anything that put one team at a disadvantage, but uh, certainly... A little looser, a little bit of what we've seen in prior years and what fans have come to expect of refs pocketing the whistles in that third period. And that is unfortunate. I, th I think that will get pointed to a little bit as well with the game winning goal in overtime scored by Nazem Kadri that has received all kinds of attention and focus because... There were an awful lot of players on the ice, probably a few more than should have been on the ice when Nazem Kadri picked up the puck and began skating across the blue line into the Tampa zone and scored as soon as they found the puck that it was in the back of the net and it was the game winning goal. Is this a too many men on the ice penalty? I guess it is, but. It really isn't that egregious. Well, that's that's where we get into that gray area. And I, I don't love it, but I understand it. Uh, you know, as an official, you're looking to see, and this applies to all penalties, you know, was there an advantage gained on the play? Was this a dangerous situation that was created? Paul Stewart relies on that that line of thinking on you know how you would approach whether or not to call a penalty because you're not calling every single instance of every minor infraction. You're looking at the big picture of things. So, you know, were there too many men on the ice? Yes. Yeah, there absolutely were. And there were too many men on both sides. Tampa had seven guys yes. on at the same time the Avalanche had six. So, yes, we had too many men on the ice. This is in overtime. It's it's a sloppy line change for both teams. So as an official, I think you're willing to give both sides a little leeway here. It's a messy change. It's a long change because of the period. OK, fine. Now, was there a distinct advantage? I, I And this one I could say, well, McKinnon was not within five feet of the bench uh, when Kadri jumped on and Kadri was in possession of the puck while McKinnon was still on the ice. So you start to get into rule 74 there a little bit around what is too many men on the ice and should this have been a penalty? But I think from McCauley's standpoint, from Kelly Sutherland's standpoint and the linesman who also could have blown it down, I think they're looking at this as this is a sloppy line change. McKinnon is clearly 
off the ice. I know he's still in the zone. I know he's skating towards the bench. And holy cow, could he have put a little bit of hustle into that? I know, I know he's played a lot of <laughs> hockey, but come on. We, we, we saw what happened when Gabriel Landeskog didn't get off the ice in a playoff game uh, a year or so ago. And, right. and that caused all kinds of problems. So you think he could hustle a little bit more to negate this. But from a practical standpoint, his back is to the play. His stick's down. He's gliding off the ice at a leisurely pace. He is clearly out of the play and not involved. So effectively, he's out of the play. And I would say the same thing applies to the Tampa players that were changing. They had no impact. They were behind the play. There were too many men on the ice. But with that idea of I'm looking for a situation where a team is gaining a distinct advantage, yes, Colorado scored right after this. But the change itself, that that possession, that line change, didn't necessarily create that scoring chance. So I get it, and I, I, I see where the non-call would be if you're going to go by the letter of the law yes it was too many men but this play happens in other games and i'm not excusing it but this happens in every game and it's allowed to go because we're looking at and you know you're giving a little leeway it's a it's a sloppy change it's even if it wasn't overtime in the playoff game you're still looking at a situation where the colorado avalanche didn't gain a distinct advantage by doing it so it's hard to say this to that yes by the letter of the law this is too many men on the ice situation but from a judgment call standpoint I don't think it made a difference in the game. I don't think there was an advantage gained by the Avalanche as a result of this. And I think you have to live with it, unfortunately. Well, I'll play devil's advocate a little bit in the sense that if Kadri does not jump early onto the ice to make the change, is he in that position to be able to receive the pass to score the game-winning goal. And may, and I'm trying to look at it from, from the opposite side. That you're, you're right, McKinnon is on the ice, and he is in no way, shape, or form involved in the play. But by Kadri jumping early, does that gain the advantage? And it, it possibly does. And that's where I think you you look at the, the missed component of this when you're weighing it all out. And we don't have the benefit of replay. This is not something that Cooper could have challenged. This is not something that the NHL could have reviewed. It's not a missed stoppage in the attacking zone. This would have happened in the neutral zone. It's a penalty, which we can't review. And it doesn't fall under any of the coaches challenge or league review situations when it comes to goals being scored. So there's no recourse. This is a, a real time situation. I think there's another a few other factors there, too, Todd, where you've got Bowen Byram, I believe, was the, the defender who's way back in the defensive zone. So is he out of sight, out of mind? And you have Val Nashuskin who's coming to the bench. He's gliding past the bench, looking like he's going for a change, and then circles back. Now, Kadri could have jumped on when Nashuskin was coming over, thinking that's who he was replacing. And I'd argue that the officials may have thought the same thing. They yes. see Nashuskin going towards the bench. They see Kadri come on, and their attention is back on the other side. And maybe they missed it. And I'm not. It's not an excuse. It's not trying to to reason. It's really trying to see well, what happened here and and how could it have been different and was there an advantage. I'd say you're right. There's a situation that the Officials Association documented years ago. I think they referred to it as magic doors. There's the possibility that players can do a line change and take advantage of the bench and the doors and the entrances yes. and exits to gain a distinct territorial advantage. If you have a guy leaving the ice at one end of the bench and a guy coming on at the other end, that's 16, 20 feet of a territorial difference that you get from the line change. And that could technically result in a penalty because of how you're basically taking advantage of the arena itself to give your team an advantage on the play. So there are situations where that does result in a penalty. We just don't see it called that frequently. I, again, I'll, I'll go back to it. Yeah, I think you're right, Todd. Kadri did get the advantage by jumping off early. 
and maybe that's enough to do it. But uh, I'm, I'm not surprised it wasn't called. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say no. that it shouldn't have been. But if, if I had my pick, I'd have rather seen them hand out a few of those other penalties in the third period uh, than, than the too many men piece. Yeah, uh, no question. Those those other infractions definitely should have been called. The league issued a statement afterwards, which is a bit of a surprise in itself too, but basically explained, as you did, that this did not fall under a reviewable situation. You can't challenge it as a coach. So I think the league is really hoping that that will be the end of it and this will quietly go away and we'll focus on the rest of the series. I think it's going to get talked about for a little while, though, because controversial goals have a way of doing that Brett Hall um <laughs> maybe maybe that's just maybe that's just me but I, I I I'm with you it's just it was it was so minor an infraction I I understand why it wasn't called but I also think that John Cooper's performance and I will call it that a performance post game is part of trying to get his team ready for game five. Absolutely. Cooper's a smart guy and and he knows that their backs are against the wall. He's looking for a rallying point. And if it's feeling like the officials are against us and the Avs are against us and we, you know, we need to overcome this, that's it's a great motivator. I mean, if you feel like you're wronged, you could spark a fire under these guys. And these are playoff tested players who've been there before, who know what it takes. So I I think he's smart in giving them some fuel. And I think his approach is all calculated. He knows exactly what he's doing there when it comes to how to present this, how to put it out there for the media, for his team. Cooper doesn't do anything flying by the seat of his pants. I think every everything he's doing, he knows why he's doing it and there's a reason behind it. So I, I think this is absolutely positioning for his team and, and maybe for the benefit of of some calls in game five. I think his legal training will also help him not get fined for his well, uh, yeah. his comments as well. But you know, I think we've discovered something in this edition of the Scouting the Rest podcast, Josh. And I think we may have something here. We may have perhaps the best new rapper name going, Magic Doors. <laughs> Magic Doors. Hey, we had, uh, we had what, MC West McCauley and DJ Eric Furlat as, <laughs> as we were putting on Twitter the other day, just having some fun with the guys. So uh, yes, Magic Doors spinning the turntables. Catch them in Denver before game five. Thanks for listening to the Scouting the Refs podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram and follow Todd at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Keep it clean. Watch the elbows. We'll see you back out there on the ice.